So how many of you have ever heard that old parable, that old legend about blind men trying to explain what an elephant is? And then one gets to the back end and he grabs the tail and he says, oh, an elephant's like a rope. And then there's another blind man, he's dead center, and he goes, no, it's not. It's, a, it's like a wall. And the other one's up at the front end and he's got the trunk. He says, you guys are nuts. It's like a snake. So there's this awesome poem I found, like from the 1800s about this. Let me read it to you. It was six men of Indostan to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side at once began to bawl, bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. The second, feeling the tusk, cried, Ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp. To me, it is mighty clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, thus boldly up and spake, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out an eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he. Tis clear enough, the elephant is very like a tree. Kind of sounds like Dr. Seuss, doesn't it? <laughs> the fifth, who chanced to touch the ear, said, Even the blindest man can tell what this resembles. Most deny the fact who can. This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth, no sooner had begun about the beast to grope, then seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong. Though each was partly in the right, all of them were in the wrong. So oft in theologic wars, the disputants, I ween, rail on in utter ignorance of what the other mean and prat about an elephant not one of them has seen. There's all sorts of lessons we can gain from that, for sure. But here's the one I want to draw from it this morning. Sometimes you don't even know what's right in front of you. It's plain as the nose on an elephant's face, but you don't even know what it is. I mean, humans were that way. Probably the greatest example of that in human history was the coming of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, the Messiah is born. And he spends the next, you know, 33 years in Israel. Most people didn't expect him as the Messiah, didn't recognize him as the Messiah, but we should have. Just like the elephant, he was right there, plain as day. And yet so many people missed him. I've heard it said something like this. Maybe you've heard it too. Well, the Jewish people were told that when the Messiah comes, he would be a mighty warrior, a deliverer from the power of the oppressors, in this case the Romans. And since Jesus wasn't like that, nobody recognized him. Did you ever hear that? Let me see your hands. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a common thing. And it's almost as if, oh, that, well, that's the reason. Okay, now I understand why they, they didn't recognize him when he came. No, no, that's, that's an easy out. That it's not like that. They should have recognized him. They should have known Jesus was the Messiah. And yet they didn't. Why? 
I'm going to give you seven reasons that prove they should have known. They should have expected him. They should have recognized him. The elephant was in the room, and nobody recognized the elephant. But they should have seven evidences that they should have. Most of them come from Luke, which is what we're in this morning, but not the first one, because this is the foundational one. The prophet Daniel is the only prophet that wrote a timeline of the coming of Messiah. He actually, in a sense, had a calendar, and he said, here's the date, this is when he's coming, be ready. Now, you would think in today's culture, well, nobody reads the prophet Daniel. That may be true. But let me tell you about Jewish education in the first century. Every Jewish boy was required to study the Bible. Our school, we learn art, we learn history, we learn math, we learn music. We get a rounded education. They went to Bible school, and they studied the Bible from the age of five to the age of 13. They read it, they chanted it, they studied it. They read it, they chanted it, they studied it. Probably every boy graduated at least having the first five books of the Bible memorized. At least the first five books of the Bible memorized. Many of them would have had the whole Bible mostly memorized. And the brightest students would have definitely had the whole Bible memorized. Can you imagine? But think about it. Some of the music you listen to in the radio over and over, you know it by heart. Songs you learned back in the 70s you can still sing today. Well, their music was Bible. They chanted the Bible for years, the same books, over and over and over. So it makes sense that memorizing would have happened. So, when I tell you they should have known Daniel's prophecy about the coming of the Messiah, they knew it. Why didn't they know it? Let me read to you the prophecy. Here's what he wrote. Daniel chapter 9, 25 through 26. And for those of you who picked up your sheet when you came in this morning... I'm giving you seven reasons that they should have known. The first one is the prophecy of Daniel, chapter 9, 25 through 26. That's the first line on your handout there. If you didn't get one, you can pick one up later. It's no big deal. Here's what it says. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. And after 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. All right, let me explain to you what this means. First, simply, and then in detail. Simply, it says, the Messiah will come before the sanctuary is destroyed, after the city is rebuilt, and he'll die. Okay? So even though if you don't know all the numbers and the gizmos and the gadget, it says Jerusalem will be rebuilt. This was written when it was destroyed. Jerusalem will be rebuilt. The Messiah will come, he'll be cut off, and then the sanctuary will be destroyed again. That's what it says. It's very straightforward. But there are some details in there that are extremely important. Verse 25 again. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. Seven times seven is forty-nine plus sixty-two. 69 sevens altogether. So 69 sevens, 69 times seven is 483. So all those seven, seven, sevens, they add up to 483. 483 what? 483 Passovers or 483 days? Or 483 months or 483 seconds? The only one that worked in this was 483 Passovers, uh, years, 483 years. That's the only thing that worked. 
So Daniel said, there will be a decree given to rebuild Jerusalem. From that day, start counting. And it'll be 483 before the Messiah comes. So the faithful in Israel would have known this passage of Scripture. They should have had their calendars out, marking off the years. The start, the issuing of the decree to restore and build Jerusalem. So towards the end of the Old Testament, there's a book called Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Jewish guy in service to a Persian king. The Persians were in control of that area at this time. And Nehemiah had heard that Jerusalem was just a mess. And he knew it was. He was in captivity. But it, I guess we could just say God put it on his heart. He was grieving over his people and over his city. Now, he's the cupbearer of the king. He was, nobody was closer to the king. The king had to trust him with his life which, was, by the way, is probably why he had a Jew instead of a Persian. Because if there's going to be a coup, it's going to be internal. So let's get an outsider, one that I trust, to be my cupbearer. Nehemiah goes before the king, and the king says, Wow, you look really depressed. What's going on? And he said he lifted up a quick prayer to God, and he just went for it. And he said, How can I not be depressed when my walls are broken down, my city has been destroyed by fire, and my city lies in ruins? What do you want, Nehemiah? He said, please support the Jewish people going back and rebuilding Jerusalem. And the king said, you got it. Not only can you go, but I will give you warrants and checks. So everybody along the way has to take care of you, provide your needs, provide the lumber, whatever you need, you got it. Go. Woohoo! Exciting. Nehemiah chapter 2 opens up with these words. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes. We know when he reigned. This coincides with 445 B.C. Now, remember, the clock starts. We're supposed to count 483. So at 445 B.C., you start counting to 483, and you end up in the year 38 A.D., 38 say, wait a minute, Steve, that's close to the time that Jesus was here, but Jesus died, they say, around 33 A.D., so it's off a few years. Yes, but you've got to account for leap years. The calendar is different. The calendar changed, and now there's leap years, a handful of them. You take out and calculate for the leap years, and it puts you at 32 A.D. Now, some would calculate it and say it was 33. That's when Jesus entered Jerusalem in what's known as the triumphal entry. And everybody laid down palm fronds and said, Hosanna, basically saying, Messiah is here. Bingo. On the button. Prophecy came true. So I told you they should have expected him. They should have recognized him. Everybody should have their calendars out. And there should have been a big X. This is the time of Messiah's coming. Now, maybe we don't know the month. Maybe we don't know the day. But we're pretty close to the year, at least. Even if we're a couple of years off, it's around now. They should have known. But somehow they didn't know. I don't know why they didn't know. Spiritual blindness, I guess. Maybe they had a hold of the elephant's tail. I'm not sure what was going on. But let me read to you an interesting verse that was written in the Talmud a couple centuries later. Rabbi Samuel, uh, son of Nachmani, said in the name of Rabbi Jonathan, Blasted be the bones of those who calculate the end. For they would say, since the predetermined time has arrived, 
and yet he has not come, he will never come. Here's what the rabbis are saying in the Talmud. Don't study the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. Because if you do, you're going to realize the time frame, for now, 2,000 years past, since he didn't come, he's never going to come, and you're not going to trust God or the Bible anymore. So just don't even look at it. Well, yeah, that's one option. God doesn't keep his word. There's another. He came. But you see, since the nation of Israel has said Jesus isn't the Messiah, now they're left with a prophecy that's not fulfilled. Or guess what? God kept his word and Jesus was the Messiah. Those are really the only two options. There's nobody else in the history books that came right at the time Daniel said he should have come. That's the, that was the messianic pretender, as it were. There's only Jesus. So I told you there are seven reasons. That's the first one. The timeline of the Messiah given in Daniel chapter 9. There were faithful Jews, though, who did know he was coming. All right? That was the majority. Let me narrow you in to those who expected him. And they expected him for various reasons, not the least of which God said it's time to them, specifically, directly. I told you last week and the week before, there was this godly man named Zechariah, and he was a priest serving in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And an angel came to him. Here's what the angel said. He, will, he said, you're going to have a baby, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now the angel told Zechariah he's going to have a son. He's never had a child before. He was old. His wife was barren. And then he quotes the prophecies about the forerunner of the Messiah. Zechariah knew this. Most of the faithful of Israel knew this. The angel was telling Zechariah, your son John is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. That's what he was telling him. Zechariah was told the time of Messiah was here. Now, you're Zechariah. You're a priest. And as I shared with you last week, he went into the temple and came out a changed man. He couldn't even talk. The angel struck him mute until the baby was born. You think he kept it quiet? No, he went into the temple to serve. And when he came out late, everybody's wondering, where's he at? Why didn't he come out yet? And then he comes out and he can't talk. And you know he's, he's like petrified from seeing the angel and excited at the same time and mute. And he's trying to explain to people what happened and he can't. So he starts writing. You know he was the buzz of the town. Everybody in the temple was talking about that day. It's not like God kept it a secret that the Messiah was coming. He blasted it through Daniel. He blasted it through Zechariah. And he blasted it through Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. Listen to what it says about her in Luke chapter 1, 41 through 43. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, so Miriam, she's also pregnant with a miraculous child, the Messiah, she goes to visit with Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby moved within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and said in a loud voice, so she prophesies, You are most blessed of all women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Why should this great thing happen to me that my Lord's mother comes to visit me? My Lord's mother 
comes to visit me. She knew who was in Mary's womb. She knew her baby was going to be the forerunner, and she knew her baby was going to be the Messiah. You think she kept it a secret? You think the old pregnant lady who was announced at the temple through an angel, this is a secret? Oh, it's no secret. I'm sure she's blathering loud and clear to anybody who will hear. I'm going to have a baby. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. You know she was bragging, even though it doesn't specifically say so. But numbers 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 specifically say so. So let's take a look at number 4. This is another righteous and godly man. His name's Simeon. Listen. Now, I'm in Luke 2, 25-32. Go ahead and bring it up if you don't mind. Now, a man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. This man was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the one who would comfort Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, let me ask you a question. Just everyday life, you're a holy, righteous man serving God in the temple. The Holy Spirit speaks to you. This does not happen every day. And tells you, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. You're an old man. So what do you know? You know he's coming soon. And you're thrilled to death. After thousands of years, Messiah's coming. And you're in the temple all the time. Do you tell anybody? You tell everybody. You tell everybody. Now remember, in Jerusalem, faithful Jews were required to visit the temple three times a year. The whole temple complex you would have bumped into people you knew all the time. It's not that big. Everybody would have known from this one man. He would have told everybody. He probably got up and shouted it on several occasions at every holiday. Here's what it says. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom was under the law. So Simeon took the child in his arms and praised God, saying... So he's talking to God, holding the baby... Master, now you're allowing your servant to leave in peace according to your word. I can die now. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people to see, a light that will reveal salvation to the Gentiles and bring glory to your people Israel. Oh, yeah. You know, this wasn't done in a corner. If there's an important news... If there's important news, who do you want to be the witnesses to talk about it? He's a godly, righteous man. Zechariah was a godly, righteous priest. Elizabeth was a godly priest wife with a miracle baby in her womb. Can you come up with better witnesses? God then fills these people with the Holy Spirit and they prophesy. God was not keeping this a secret, people. There was an elephant in the room. It felt like a snake. Spiritual blindness. Listen, I'm convinced of a few things. And even though I know these in my mind, and if you ask me, I'll tell you it's so, it's hard to live with this knowledge on a day-to-day basis. And I know it's true for every human being. People lie to us all the time. But we always believe people. People have an agenda They'll even brainwash you. And yet we tend to believe what they say. And people believe what they want to believe. 
Now, you put all those things together into human nature, it's no wonder we don't believe the truth. Truth is hard to come by. You know, uh, Yasser Arafat, who used to be the PLO chairman before he died and went to hell? <laughs> yeah, he was a terrorist. Of course, where else would you think he went? He murdered people and inspired others to murder people. He said Jesus was a Palestinian. To this very day, if you read most Palestinian news and listen to most Palestinian leaders, they'll say things like this. There was never a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. They say stuff like that all the time. And people believe them. How about this? It was an American conspiracy that brought down the Twin Towers on 9-11. People believe it. People will believe what they want to believe. And so even though God made it plain that the Messiah was here, our people just couldn't see it. Best kind of witness is a godly Israelite. And yet, nobody was listening. So we go to the next one. Her name's Anna, Luke chapter 2, 36 through 38. This is number 5. So remember, number 1 was Daniel. Number 2 was Zechariah, John's dad. Number 3 was Elizabeth, John's mom. Number 4 was Simeon, the old guy in the temple. Now number 5 is Anna. And look what it says about Anna. Now Anna, a prophetess, was also there. She's a prophet. Now we've got a full-blown prophet as a testament, as a witness, from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. How old is very old? Well, she lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage and then as a widow for 84 years. So even if she got married at the age of 13, what's seven plus 84? She would have been at least, what, 92. She could have been 95. She could have been 100. So let's just say she was 92. Yeah, that's old, especially in those days. She never left the temple, but she continued to worship there night and day with times of fasting and prayer. So, after seven years her husband dies, she doesn't get remarried, she just moves into the temple, as it were, and spends all her time praying and fasting. No wonder she was a prophet. She couldn't help but be a prophet. She and God were like this. Now, I told you, all the Israelites had to go three times a year to the temple. You think everybody knew her? Of course everybody knew her. Because when your dad was this, you know, five years old, she grabbed him by the ear, said he's, showing, he's playing, you know, sent him to his mom. Everybody knew her. She lived there. She was famous, and she was godly, and she was a prophetess. She was the woman that... She went into the temple and you were there and she said, hey, son, come here. And you said, yes, mother, what can I do for you? She was the woman. She was the one. She never left the temple but continued to worship there night and day with times of fasting and prayer. And just then, she came forward and began to thank God and speak about the child to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She came forward and began to speak about the child to all who were waiting for the redemption in Jerusalem. She was a news person. She went to tell everybody who would listen. 
she spoke about the child to all who would listen, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, all the faithful. She talked to all of them. You can just imagine. You walk into the temple. Ah, haven't seen you, Eric, since a, a last Passover. Have you heard? No, what? The Messiah was born. I held him last week. Really? No. Yeah. No. Yes, Mother. <laughs> From the high and mighty priests to the prophetess to the lowly shepherd. Listen. Number six, the shepherds. And she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was not any room for them in the inn. In that region... There were shepherds living in the fields, watching their flock during the night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Then the angel said to them, stop being afraid. As I told you last week, angels show up, people are scared, the first thing they say is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Listen, I'm bringing you some good news, great joy for all people today. Your Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, was born in the city of David. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly, a multitude of the heavenly army appeared with the angel, praising God. All right, you're a shepherd. It's nighttime. You're out in the fields, maybe sitting in front of a fire, keeping warm. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. Now, you and the other shepherds, what do you do? You fall on your face, you freak out. Because there's something about angels that are just very powerful and frightening to people. We can't handle holiness. We just can't. And the angel says, no, no, don't be scared. I'm not here to terrify you. I'm here to give you great news. The Messiah has just now been born. And all of a sudden, heaven rips open, and they see heaven. And all these angels are singing praises. What are the shepherds doing? And then they're gone. And they look at each other. Pinch me. Did that, was that real? Take a minute for your adrenaline dump to go down, your blood pressure to drop, maybe your knees stop knocking, and then you realize what the angel said. Did he say the Messiah was just born? Woo-hoo! Let's go see! And the, now you got a bunch of shepherds running through the hills, screaming, and everybody's like, what's up with the shepherds? And then they burst into town, celebrating, dancing, hollering. Where's the baby? Where's the baby? Everybody's like, shut up, we're sleeping. And then they find the baby, and they probably fall down and worship. I mean, Joseph and Mary were probably like, whoa, you know? You ladies have had a baby. How would you like that to happen you know, a couple minutes after you delivered? <laughs> a bunch of shepherds coming in and, you know, hard times for everybody. Great times for everybody. Now, do you think they kept that to themselves? No way. Look what it says. 22, 11, and 17. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah of the Lord. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. They told everybody. How could you not? 
Listen, if you've been waiting as a people group for a Messiah for thousands of years and he comes, you're going to tell everybody. What would that be like in our culture? In our culture, it'd be like this. You've got the cure for cancer. And you've seen it cure people. You know it's for real. What are you going to do? You're going to tell everybody. You're going to go on the Oprah Winfrey show. You're going to go on CNN. You're going to go on Fox. You're going to go to uh, Arizona Daily Star. You're going to go on K-Gun 9. You're going to go in the mall. You're going to tell everybody. Great news. No more cancer. Number seven. The Magi. Now, they're the most interesting of them all. Because we've got a bunch of Israelites in the room with the elephant, and they don't know there's an elephant in the room, but there's a bunch of Gentiles a thousand miles away who know he's come. How did they find out? Remember, this isn't years later. They knew he was being born. How did they know? They're not even from around there. I'll tell you what I think. Let me give you a little history lesson. This is how I think they knew. I told you there was one prophecy in all the Bible, one prophet who gave the exact time frame of when the Messiah was coming. His name was Daniel. And guess where Daniel lived? He lived in Babylon, where these guys came from, almost certainly. Now, Daniel was captured from Jerusalem, brought in as a prisoner to Babylon, and he, through the work of God and interpreting dreams, was elevated to the highest man in Babylon right under the king. But more than that, because he was able to interpret dreams, because God gave him that ability, <laughs> let me just read to you the scripture. It's so awesome. Daniel 2.48. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Daniel was head of the Magi. So here we are a few hundred years later and a bunch of magi come from Babylon and say, hey, we, we heard the Messiah is supposed to be born now. Where is he? The funny thing is, they knew, they were faithful, they made the journey and everybody they talked to said, he is? What are you talking about? The, the Messiah is born? Really? Herod said, hey, get me some rabbis. Is the Messiah born? Where is he supposed to be born? They knew. Jewish people are God's chosen people. That doesn't automatically make the Jewish people holier, smarter, or more faithful. It just makes them more accountable to be holier, smarter, and more faithful. These Gentiles were holier, smarter, and more faithful. They knew. How they knew, we're not sure. But it says they followed a star. And there's all sorts of conjecture about how that could be and what it means. It's interesting. I don't know what God did, but it was cool. They followed a star, took them to Jerusalem. And then they were pointed to Bethlehem through the prophecies. Here's an interesting passage in some ancient Jewish literature called the Messiah Haggadah. Listen to what it says. The star shall shine forth from the east. And this is the star of the Messiah. And it will shine from the east for 15 days, and if it's prolonged, it will be for the good of Israel. So there's something about a star in ancient Jewish texts. But exactly what went down, I don't know, and it's not really necessary for today's lesson. 
Today's lesson was they should have known that the Messiah was there. Talk about an elephant in the room. How could they have missed? I mean, there's the prophecy of Daniel, the testimony of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna. There were the shepherds. And then, of course, there were the magi. How could they have missed? As I told you, people will see what they want to see and believe what they want to believe, and people will not see what they do not want to see. And on top of that, there's this thing called spiritual blindness. And the Bible says that the God of this world, referring to the devil, has blinded the eyes of people who refuse to see the truth. And yet some did. Many did. Just not most. So here we are 2,000 years later. They waited a couple thousand years for the Messiah. He came. He left, and before he left, he said, I'll be back. And now we've waited a couple thousand years. He might come tomorrow. Don't know. Rapture might occur tonight. Don't know. But does anybody believe that it's going to happen? Are you expecting him? We're the faithful, but we still have empty chairs. There's a big town out there. What are those people doing? Washing their cars? They don't believe. The, the elephant's coming back into the room, in a sense. We've got the prophecy. We've got the testimony. We've got everything that they have. And then some, we've got the reestablishment of the state of Israel after 2,000 years. I'm telling you, the elephant's get, coming back into the room. Oh, he's coming. But do you believe? I do. But the choice is yours. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth that the Messiah, Jesus, is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. God doesn't care if you're Jewish or Gentile-ish. Yeah, I just made that up. <laughs> he doesn't care if you're smart or not so smart. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor. He doesn't care if you live in Tucson or Timbuktu. He wants faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But with faith, it's impossible not to please God. And faith starts with turning away from our sins and giving our life to Jesus believing that he died for us and rose again. I would urge you to commit your life to Jesus if you have not. And for those of you in here who have, I would urge you, start sharing the story of Jesus with your friends. Be bold. Get them saved. Bring them to church next week. Help them know that God is real. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you for the great testimony of the coming of the Messiah. Help us to be testimony of his recoming, his next coming. And help us to tell people about his first coming where he died for our sins. Use us, Lord, as mouthpieces, whether we be shepherds, prophets, or priests. Lord, use us. Help us to be faithful. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that our testimony might be bold and powerful and open up the eyes of the people in Tucson and those in other countries. Help us to reach out through our friends and our families that they might be saved from their sins and enjoy paradise with you. For it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.